word, God's people and God's truth are under assault and attack. Take refuge in the Lord. We need everyone to dig deeper, to lay the foundation so that we can stand tall for the Lord. All right, good morning. Glad to see you out there today. Welcome to Gateway. If you're a guest, <clears throat> thanks for being here. If you're not a guest, thanks for coming back. Good to see you back there, Ed. I see that uh, that flag stands out back there. So good to have all of you here. <clears throat> I want to tell you something. I know where the sun is. Uh, some people are asking, "Where's the sun?" And it's in the it's in the Caribbean. Uh, that's where it is. <clears throat> so. He said he wouldn't be back for a while, too. So if you're looking for it or expecting it, he's not coming back for at least a week or so. We had a great trip. Thanks for asking. Some of you know that we were, uh, we were on, actually last Sunday, we were driving home uh, from Fort Lauderdale. But the Sunday before that, when you had the video of me, I was basking up the sun uh, on an eight-day cruise. <clears throat> that trip was given to me by the church a year ago last summer. So this summer will make 27 years I've been here as the preacher. <clears throat> I don't know if that's a, a good job sticking it out or thanks for sticking it out, but, but 25 years was that trip. And uh, now that I finally went on that, I'm trying to see if the elders will okay us doing that every year now that I've hit the 25-year mark. Well, you would vote for that, wouldn't you? <clears throat> and you want to see me uh, uh, happy. Anyway, we had a great time. If you've never been on a cruise, you should take one. I mean, it's the height of self-indulgence is what it is. And so um, I'll just go ahead and say it. <clears throat> we can enjoy it for a week. Well, thanks for coming for, uh, for this. And I hope you'll, uh, if, if you're looking for a church home, or if you're, uh, you know, if you're kind of brand new, that, that you'll find it here. I, I think uh, our church has a lot of good things to offer. And one thing we're doing this year that I would think that you as parents and grandparents might particularly be interested in is that we're trying to, we're, we're not trying, we're starting a program that will build into your children what they need, the start of what they need, partnering with you, the start of what they need to withstand the coming attacks and storms in the world. I don't know if you know this, <clears throat> but over the past 50 years or so, our young people, I'm talking about kids that just exited here and went upstairs, when they graduate high school, 70% of them don't come back into a church. And if they do, they... It's after they get married and have kids. But 70% of them, for some reason, are persuaded <clears throat> to leave the faith, either to throw the towel in on it altogether or to relegate it to just a side thing that I'll do when it's convenient, you know, when it's convenient for me. A belief in God, but not much commitment to, uh, to his church or to his people. And there's a reason for this, and the reason for this is because the devil is at work. 
and we've kind of been sleeping for the last 50 years. Because in 1950, in the 1950s, before I was born, maybe some of you were born then, more people were going to church, some of them going to synagogue or Catholic church or whatever. The point is more people were religious in that day, in that decade, than at any other time in the history of our country. And, and you know, it was, it, was after, it was after World War II, we were rebuilding this country and rebuilding our values, and we were putting God at the center. But over that time, the devil has been hard at work, and, and he's been really stealing the minds and hearts, hearts and minds of our young people. It's time we wake up, amen? <clears throat> it's time we do something and push back against it. Two weeks ago when I shared the video message, I studied Psalm 11 with you, and the question there is the question we're asking. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And, and I, sadly, I'm here to say that in a lot of places, in a lot of lives, even a lot of churches, the foundations have been destroyed. They've been crumbling They've been crumbling. There are more people now who believe Christianity, <clears throat> more and more people who believe Christianity is a myth or a fable or, you know, at the, at the, very, at the very most, uh, you know, just a convenience. Don't push it on the rest of us. So we're, we're fighting back. We're going to dig deeper. We're going we're gonna to try to push back against a culture that's pushing against us. We're going to try to reach down, and we are reaching down all the way into the children. Your children, our children's ministries have already started this program. The first Sunday of, uh, of this year, <clears throat> they began teaching what we call a prepped and prime point that has to do with the topic of the month. And the topic, for instance, of this month, which we'll cover in depth next Sunday, is the reality of the existence of God. God is real. That's next next week's topic but it's this whole month's topic and your children have already been getting a dose of this so if if you have questions about that talk to cassie here or joel or uh, even michelle <clears throat> although we're not teaching it at michelle's level yet you know that's the little bitty kids but the elementary age school kids are getting this and uh, we're gonna try to train you parents and grandparents and small group leaders and anybody else who's interested hopefully everybody on the last Sunday of every month when we cover that topic on Sunday morning, and we'll do that all year round, there are 12 topics, each for a month of the year. On that Sunday evening, as Joel mentioned in this uh, opening video, it, we're going to try to bring you together and train you, not just in some ways to, uh, to teach your children and to partner with us and us partnering with you in that topic, but also how to teach them to engage the culture so that when these little kids get up to middle school and high school, these things aren't new to them. They've heard the opposition. They've heard the attacks. They've been under attack and they know the defense and they know why they believe what they believe. <clears throat> That's our goal. I'm not so sure right now, and I'm, 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 not, I'm not being critical as much as I'm being discerning that if you took a high schooler now, any one of these sitting up here in this room right now, and you asked them to explain why they believe in Jesus and why they believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I'm not sure many of them or most of them will be able to tell you. Uh, if, if you said, what about the Bible? Is it true and why do you believe it's true? I'm not sure they'd be able to tell you that. So you understand, 
if you said, you know, why is, uh, why is homosexuality uh, n- not a lifestyle that God approves? I'm not sure they'd be able to tell you. Why is transgenderism uh, so far removed from God's uh, uh, word and, and God's truth and God's uh, um, plan for our lives? Why is that uh, so far off the mark? I'm not sure they'd be able to tell you. But 10 years from now, five years from now, I think we're going to have young people, a student ministry that know the answer to this. Are you with me? I hope you're with us in this because this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. And we're going to do it on their level, and we're going to do it in a way that speaks truth, the the truth in love. So here's some things we're, just so we're on the same page, here's some things we're pushing back against. Here's some storms that are here, that that are already here. There's atheism. You know, that's just, that's, that's an, it's not really that old because the ancient cultures all believed in some kind of a divinity. Atheism's kind of an, an, an enlightened thing. You know, now that we're smart enough uh, as human beings, we, we don't think there's any God. The fool has said in their heart, there's no God. We're going to push back against that. And that's, that's this month. God is real. And they're trying to remove God from our culture and marginalize those of us who believe in him. There's agnosticism, which is the belief, okay, I'll concede there is a God, but he doesn't care about us, and there's no way we can really know him. There's humanism, which has been around a while, and all this stuff really is related to humanism, which is the placement of human achievement and human intellect over the wisdom of God and the grace and power of God. We just think we're good enough because we're so smart we can invent all we need to. And then... uh, uh, there's wokeism. Now, I know I was advised by some of our staff, don't mention this one because there's so many different views. And I actually talked to a couple of people after last sermon, and, and they said, well, here's my definition of that. Here's my definition. And there, there are a lot of definitions. This is kind of an old thing that's representing itself. It's representing itself. But I'll define wokeism simply as saying um, weaponized personal grievances masquerading as genuine social concern. So for instance, you're like, let's talk about climate change. There are a lot of people who are pushing for for humanity to give up stuff or to stop doing stuff or trying to guilt us or victimize us, make us the, you know, not just the victim, but they're trying to uh, make us the criminal in this for living our life. And, and then they go get on their private jets and fly away. That's wokeism. That, that's wokeism. Or an organization like the, uh, the, uh, uh, the MLB moving an all-star game because of what they say voter suppression and hurting, uh, you know, maybe the black community in Atlanta, moving it to somewhere else where it's worse and okaying this kind of stuff in other areas of their target audience. Or the whole BLM movement that says, uh, you know, black lives matter, but not if they're aborted black lives. And, and not, if they're, not if they're black lives that have been killed by other, uh, uh, you know, people in the black community. They only matter, they only matter if we don't, you know, if, if whoever killed them, we don't agree with their ideology. This is fake social concern. Now, don't 
don't let them make us feel like the bad guys. We believe the Bible, and we acknowledge in the Bible there are a lot of issues. There are a lot of oppression. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of uh, social justice concerns in our country, but we approach them from a biblical worldview. God loves everybody. God loves everybody, and we, we need to be biblically focused on how to deal with these problems. Instead of making you out to be the bad guy, or you, you know, maybe, maybe it will come down to that, but uh, th- this is fake, fake concern. So as you may have heard, it's rules for thee, but not for me. <clears throat> that's, that's wokeism. And so we, we gotta push back against that. You know, instead of jumping on a cause, jumping in on, in on a cause that's self-centered, Let's get behind the Bible. How, there are real concerns. There are problems in our country and in our world, but how should we handle them? Let's go to the Bible first. Let's go to the Bible first. And then we're going to push back against progressive Christianity, this so-called Christianity that wants to remove Jesus and God's word out of the way and make our faith more about feelings, how I feel, how you make me feel and how you make some other people feel. That's not biblical faith. There were times when Jesus, I mean, it was like, you know what? You might feel bad about this, but I'm telling you the truth. Unless you sell all your possessions and come follow me, you can't have any part of me. You know, that was kind of, that was harsh. That was harsh. And the guy turned and left. So uh, faith includes feelings, but it's not based on feelings. And a lot of this so-called progressive Christianity has made it about, well, this is how I feel about it. And then uh, we're going to talk about and, and address and combat against the perversion of sex, sexual behavior, and human sexuality. And man, those have been around for a long time, but they are, they have not been as blatant, blatantly accepted Uh, by our culture as they are today. I'm always reminded of the verse in Genesis chapter 6 that says the every intent of the thoughts of a man's heart was evil. And uh, and, and that's when God destroyed the world by flood. And it feels like that's kind of where we're getting back to. You with me? So uh, we we have to develop a uh, biblical worldview because these attacks, make no mistake about it, are from Satan. They're from Satan, who is on overdrive. He is, uh, he, is, he is fired up because he sees doors of opportunity in this country to take it and to steer it in, in, uh, toward him. So last week, uh, Gus preached about two guys, uh, Sandy and Rocky, and uh, they each built a house. And remember, Sandy built his house on the sand, and Rocky built his house on the rock. And the point of Jesus' story here. Uh, is that if, even if you got to dig deeper, invest your time in digging deeper because the storm's coming, and if you don't have a house built on solid foundation, your house is going gonna, is gonna to fall. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, our text is 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. All, both of Peter's letters were written to encourage people to grow up, to get stronger in the Lord, and that's what we're trying to do. They were written to encourage believers in the face of um, of a um, 
of a, of a culture that was pushing back against it. That, that's what, you can see this several times and we'll see it today, that Peter mentions that there's a pagan culture out there and they're pushing against you. And so you gotta do something about that. And that's why Peter's writing this book. And he knew that storms were coming that a weak faith would not survive. A borrowed faith will not survive. If you borrowed the faith from your parents or your spouse and you're only here because of them, then that's borrowed faith and that's, you're going to crumble when, the, when going gets tough. So uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time here in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I like this chapter because this chapter talks about two things that I really like. I really like. Uh, it, it talks about milk. I like milk. You know, uh, I asked... I asked uh, I was asking somebody, I said, do you like milk as much as I do? He said, yeah, I used to when I was a baby. I said, well, I, I like milk now. I drink skim milk. I'll drink any kind of milk, cow milk, goat milk, cat milk. It doesn't matter, whatever it is. I've never had one of those. But uh, I drink it with ice, and uh, <clears throat> I like milk. So let's read the part that talks about milk, and I want to tell you the point in this, all right? And by the way, the promised land was called the land flowing with what? Milk and honey. I imagine milky streams coming out of the mountain. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. There it is that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, obviously, Peter's not talking about liquid milk here, right? We all know that. He's using this as a metaphor, and it's really not the milk he's using as a metaphor. It's the word long for, long for the pure spiritual milk. That's where the emphasis is. He's really talking about our desire for God, our desire specifically for the Word of God. He's talking about our, our desire, long for, create a desire for, have a, have a craving for the Word of God. And some versions trans, translate this phrase as crave pure spiritual milk. And I think we need to develop a craving for the Word of God. You know, you have cravings. When I was a kid, I heard that we should drink milk because it gives us strong, what? Bones and teeth. I don't know whether that's true. There are good properties to it. But if that's true, I've got the strongest bones and teeth ever. But it's a craving that we have to, we have to create. It's a craving. You know what a craving is? For instance, I, I may mention the word Big Mac. And that's enough for some of you. You know now what you're going to do for lunch. Uh, it could be any word. And this is, you know, this is how kind of things work. Uh, you, you hear that word, it's like, oh, yeah, I want that. Or it could be a smell. You know, uh, this is, uh, I don't know what to make of this, but I used to, when I used to cross the river here at Nitro, uh, the St. Albans Nitro Bridge, right? Is it the St. Albans Nitro Bridge? Or is it the Nitro St. Albans Bridge? It's the St. Albans Nitro Bridge, because we're in St. Albans. And then I'd take a right and, and go up, uh, what's that, 25, and go toward Institute. 
right over there at one of those chemical plants, I would smell something that made me crave a Big Mac. I don't know what that chemical was. Some of you, some of you know. But it made me think of Big Macs. But I, I don't eat Big Macs because I, I'm, um, I am uh, against them now because they're so thin. And I think, uh, I think McDonald's ought to be ashamed to try to call anything big that's paper thin. Yeah, so what you do is you order a double quarter pounder and add Big Mac sauce for 50 cents. There you go. I've helped you out today. You're wanting one now, aren't you? <clears throat> or when you watch a show about uh, pickles. You know, every time I watch the Andy Griffith show, kerosene cucumbers, where Aunt B makes the cucumbers and they're, they're just eating them and they're, I, I get up and I want a pickle. It could be a certain time of day. So dinner's over and you, you sit down in front of the TV and all of a sudden you, your brain says, you need, you need a bowl of ice cream, chocolate syrup. Every single night. That's a craving. It's a craving. You don't need that. It's your brain telling you that. Listen, it's possible to break a craving. It's going to be tough, but it's also possible to create a craving. Listen to me, Christians. It's time to create a craving for God, a craving for God's word. And as storms are coming your way, and you need the word of God hidden away in your heart. You need them in your life. So a lot of you, I know the first thing you do in the morning, you pick up your phone and you, you, know, you check your emails or your Twitter feed or something. What if you started uh, reading the Bible first thing? What if you got the YouVersion Bible app on your phone and you started reading the Bible? And you know what the YouVersion would do for you? It would then start notifying you at that time, hey, don't forget your Bible reading plan. Now, I know there is some sentiment among some uh, Christians, maybe a little bit older Christians, who say, we need to get back to paper Bibles. We need to get back to paper Bibles. And I love paper Bibles. Don't get me wrong. I've got a lot of paper Bibles. I, I think I could find uh, some of my earliest paper Bibles when I was a kid, a little bitty kid. But I haven't opened them in a while have, because it's 2023. And let's be honest, this, this is one of the most amazing tools that man has ever created. Now, think whatever you might about who created it and where it came from and how they're using it. This is a great tool, and it is just a tool. And I, and I know it takes a lot of discipline to overcome their uh, clickbait and algorithms and all that stuff, but this is a tool you can control, and you can use it for good or you can use it for bad. And I think if you're going to have one, and just about everyone does, you ought to have the YouVersion Bible app on here. You can read the Bible from just about any version you want to, and you can do, uh, this is Craig Rochelle who did this, Life Church, and uh, his people created this, and it was a great tool. That's a great tool. When people get addicted to their phones, it's not their phones, it's the app on their phones. They're addicted to a game app or social media or something. But let's suppose you got, had the Bible app on your phone, and if you're having struggles with those others, take them, just delete them from your phone. And let's, let's suppose you spend time in that. I mean, it's 2023. There's no excuse for you and I not to have access to the word of God right there in our hands. That's the only thing we carry around with us every single day. And may, maybe you lay it up or leave it in your car occasionally, but it's, it's within reach of you. Most likely, if you're, if you're under the age of 70 and, and maybe older than that, you've you got one of these tools. Let's 
Use it for good. Let's start developing a craving for the word of God. It's, there's no excuse for us. You know, I think when we stand in front of God and he asks us, why didn't we spend more time in his word? We were the, we were the generation that had it accessible more so than any other generation. I mean, there were generations of people who couldn't even read, let alone have their own copy of the Bible. But when I was growing up, you know, in the, in the late 70s and 80s, I was proud of my, my, my Bible. I was proud of my Bible. And, uh, and, and you know, somewhere along the way, I, I, I left it sitting and I went and did my life. But right now, I don't leave this thing sitting. And, you know, we'll drive 10 miles down the road and someone says, oh, I forgot my phone. And what will we do? The airplane better wait on us because we got to go get this phone. Right? Am I right? Chances are you don't leave it, though, anymore because it's such a part of your life. Use it for good. Develop a craving for God's word in your life. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Long for the word of God. Listen, Christian, if you're going to have a strong faith, if you're going to withstand the storms of life that are coming to your house, to your marriage, to your family, to your children, you need, you need the word of God in, in your life. You need the word of God in your life. It's not just an old-fashioned claim. It is the truth. It is the truth. God's word. I, I meditate on it. You know, the, I, I love that psalm that says, your words are sweet. Let's see what it says. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's the way we need to think of God's word. Get a version you can understand. And read and, uh, and start a craving in 2023 for the word of God. Now, a little bit later in a, in a few weeks, we're going to jump into the book of James. The book of James, it's one of the most practical, uh, greatest books, isn't it, Matt? It's a great book to study and to teach. We're going to jump into it, and we're going to spend four months in it. You know what I'm going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask you to start memorizing it. Start memorizing. You think, oh, my gosh, I can't even remember the Pledge of Allegiance. Start memorizing the word of God, and we're going to have times when we get people up here on stage to recite the word of God. Yeah, I think it's a great, uh, it's a great plan to get God's word in your heart. Now, let's move on. My time's up for that topic because I really need to get to the other topic, and it's another topic that I love that Peter mentions here in this chapter, and it's rocks. Rocks. How many of you like rocks? I love rocks. Uh, I, I love rocks. You know, uh, I, I saw a rock on uh, Facebook yard sales uh, several years ago, and uh, the, these people claimed that it was a, a petrified log, and uh, I couldn't resist it. Uh, I mean, I'm like, it looks like a petrified log. It, it, I think it is. I think it is, and, uh, and so I bought it. I bought it. I paid more than I should have, but I love this thing. I love this thing, and it's sitting in my house now. And I'll tell you how I know it's, he, the guy probably was lying to me is because I said, well, I don't have any way to get it here. And he said, I'll bring it over there in the next 30 minutes. And he tore his tailgate off getting it to me, and he had one of those fancy cameras and all that stuff. Uh, but I love rocks, and it's sitting in my house right now, and I'll show it to you if you come over there. I collect rocks from different places I visited. I just brought one home from Aruba. Brought one home from Aruba, and it started stinking. And I realized there must be uh, microorganisms or some kind of life on it. So uh, I guess I killed them. But it's at my house right now. 
I have rocks from everywhere, Afghanistan, Iraq. I have rocks from out west. All the places I've been to, I try to bring home a rock. I have a rock that I'm convinced that Indians used to scrape a buffalo hide because I was at a place called a buffalo jump. That's what it said on the sign. It's in, uh, it's in Montana. And I believe I found a rock they scrape a hide with. I could go on and on about my rocks, but I want to talk about the rocks Peter talks about. There's lots of famous rocks in the Bible. And so he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. There's the word stone right there. You yourselves like living stones, that's two times, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and for whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone, that's five times, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So eight times in these few verses, Peter mentions a stone. Now, granted, he doesn't use the same Greek word here. He uses one Greek word when you see the word stone. And then down here where it says rock of offense, that's when he uses the word uh, uh, Petra. You know, Peter, you saw last week, his name was changed from Simon to Peter or Petras. And Jesus then said, Petros, you've done a good thing here. God revealed to you, and upon this Petra, I'm going to build my church. Jesus was kind of doing a play on words there. Jesus did not build his church on Peter. Peter wasn't a pope or the first. He, church is not built on Peter. Peter's a man, a sinner man, common man like you and me. And we could go back through the Gospels and look at a lot of his issues and sins. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on what you just said, because that's a rock. What did Peter say? I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what Jesus is building his church on. You build your church on a man, it's going to crumble. You build your church on who Jesus is, it's going to stand. And that leads me to the first rock I want to talk about for just a minute or two, and that's the cornerstone. A cornerstone in ancient times and even in earlier times in this nation was used to, uh, to, to make a firm foundation for a house or for a building. Uh, how many of you have ever seen a cornerstone? Or, or maybe you, you, uh, you've used them or something. <clears throat> you know, today you can go to some buildings in Charleston or any place and they'll have an inscription on a stone right at the corner. And it'll say who built it maybe or the year it was built. That's not really a cornerstone, but that kind of serves as a cornerstone today. But the cornerstone back in ancient times and, and even earlier times in this country uh, was a stone put at, the, uh, uh, put at the corner of the building to give it uh, a strong foundation and to guide the, um, you know, the, the building, the walls. And so it was probably cut, you know, it was cut and shaped and it was used uh, as the main uh, guide bearer, if you will, for that house. You know, when, when we tore down some houses here, there were stones 
left in the foundation. They used to do that to houses. Anybody know of a house that was done? They were getting rid of those. I took some of those home. I've got some at my house, and they're very carefully shaped and cut. They're square, you know, rectangle stones. But I don't know that there was a cornerstone, but a cornerstone here was what gave the building stability and direction. Well, guess who is the cornerstone? Make no mistake about it, Rob, Jesus is the cornerstone. Amen? That's what he's talking about. And the old hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And let me be clear, unless your marriage, unless your life, unless your family, unless your house is built on Jesus as the cornerstone, when the storms come, you have a great opportunity to crumble. If it's not built on Jesus, you will crumble. Listen, you can go to Islam, you can go to New Age religions, you can go to any religion you want to, but they're all dead ends. They are all dead ends. And they're all, they're, they're, these are buildings, I believe, built on the sandy foundation, and they'll all come crumbling down in the end. You know, when we were building the, um, what we call the Family Life Center, this building a couple down the street here, it now houses mostly our daycare and uh, used to be preschool. When we got to this end of that building, we began to dig for the foundation and we got into uh, really sandy soil, sandy soil. And I learned at that time, which a lot of, if you've been around St. Albans a long time, you know that, that the, the river used to get up, I guess the Coal River, and it would come over this way. And I've ha I had people tell me that they used to take a canoe, they used to ride a boat from, uh, let's say right here where uh, our gray recovery house is, across that way to where the railroad tracks is. There used to be water through there. Anybody remember that? Rick, you should probably remember that maybe, or heard somebody talk about it. I'm not pointing out your age or anything, Rick, but uh, you've been around a while. And so uh, that whole area there was just sandy. It was sandy. We found so many old bottles, uh, you know, medicine bottles, liquor bottles, all kinds of cool bottles, which I kind of like those things too. I've got them in, at my house, and I've had, them for, I've had them for 20 years now. You can ask my wife. And I'm just now getting to the point where I can clean them up. I found some cool bottles. I'll, I'll show them to you on Facebook uh, one of these days. But you know what we had to do? Brandon, you probably understand this. We had to dig down an extra. That's why we have what we call a dungeon underneath there and put what's called lean concrete. You know what that is, don't you? Lean concrete, four feet of it because the foundation was terrible. So we've had a few problems with that building in the block cracking a time or two. But, uh, but we think it's, 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 at least it's been around, you know, for that long. Let me tell you, Christ is the cornerstone. There'll be no cracks. There'll be no, there'll be no faults in your life, your marriage, your family, your kids, if you're standing on him. Amen? Amen. Secondly, let's talk about these living stones. Jesus is, this isn't the living stone family like David Livingstone. This is you. This is you, the living stones. 
He says Jesus is a living stone here in that first verse, but we also are living stones. And we are the material God is using to build his house. You know, we are standing and some are standing on our shoulders and we are standing on some shoulders and we are becoming the walls of the house. And you think about your parents or your grandparents or a teacher in Sunday school or a preacher years ago who taught you the word, who helped you understand, who, who strengthened your faith. You're standing on his or her shoulders and you're in the wall and you're not just another brick in the wall. You're a living stone. Now, rocks are dead unless you get them out into the sea and they've got organisms on them, but the rock itself is dead. And uh, Peter's saying here, you're not dead, you're alive. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. He says, we were made alive. We've been made alive. This is the unique thing about, about the house God is building. It's made from living people. The church is not a building, it's God's people being built up into this house that is not finished yet. Still working on it. You know, sometimes you'll see a house that's not finished. Uh, we see this a lot in Haiti. We'll go over there and, and they're, they're working on it. And it's been like that for years. And you're like, when are you going to finish your house? And they'll say, when I get the money, I'll finish the house. Well, it's not that God lacks the resources, but God is carefully building this house. And the book of Revelation chapter 21 says there'll be a day when the house is finished and God's dwelling place will be with men. It'll be with his people. It'll be there. And you know what he'll do? He'll put the roof on it and he'll, he'll say it's done. And so you are the, you are the, we are the resources. We are the material he's using in the wall. And we're standing on shoulders and people are standing on our shoulders. Don't leave any gaps in the wall. Make sure there's somebody. Listen to me here real closely. I didn't say this first service. Make sure somebody is standing on your shoulders so that there's not an empty space above you. You with me? You understand what I mean? It should be your children. It should be your children or your grandchildren, and they should be standing on your shoulders because you're helping build the foundation. Lastly, there's a stumbling stone. A stumbling stone is when Peter says a rock of offense. It's a cornerstone that was rejected because the builders said, we don't like this one. So we're going to move it over here out of the way and use a different one. Now, I don't want to get into it deeply, but what, what's going on here is the Jewish people rejected Christ. Even from the Old Testament, we read this morning, Psalm 118 and also in Isaiah 28, there's messianic prophecy that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, would be the cornerstone upon which the house would be built. What Jesus is saying here, what Peter's saying here is, and Jesus repeats this in the Gospels too, is that the Jewish people didn't like this cornerstone. They wanted a different one, so they put it over here. But now in the normal course of their workday, they're stumbling over it. They're tripping over it because the builders have to face it every time they turn around. And that's the way God's truth is. You try to build your life on something else, you try to do something else, you're going to run smack dab into the truth of God. And that's going to be the truth, and you're going to try to avoid the truth. You're going to try to build on something else. That's why it's a stumbling stone, because they hate it, but it's true. Sometimes the truth has to 
hurt. And listen, we don't use this as weaponization. The Bible says we speak the truth in love. At one time, the Apostle Paul said, he looked, and this is Galatians 5.11, he looked at the gospel as the offense of the cross. It was the scandal, that's this Greek word for uh, offense, scandalon, which we get the word scandal. It was the scandal of the cross. In other words, this is, this is there's no way this could be true. Somebody could die on the cross for my sins. He's the sacrifice. No way. I can't accept that. The Bible's true. It's a scandal. It's a stumbling block. But in Romans 1.16, he, he said, I got to the point where I said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It might offend you. It might offend some of your people. But it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel, folks, and it's about Jesus. And as you begin to build your life and your family and your marriage on a biblical foundation, don't misunderstand, you're going to have opposition. Don't think it's going to be easy peasy. There are going to be people who criticize you. Oh, you took your kid out of public school and you're doing this. Why? Oh, because I don't want my kid all this stuff. Now, I'm not saying all public schools are bad, but that might be something that you'd be ridiculed for. Or you, you, you go to church every Sunday? Good grief, what's the, what's the problem with you? Don't you have anything else to do? You invest your money, you give of your money to the church? Don't, don't, do you want to be poor? Why do you? Lots of things, and we could go on down a long line where you'll be criticized for if you stand up for the right thing and, and for God's word. And so we, we share our faith with gentleness and respect. That's what First Peter says. 315. That's why he reminds them of their purpose as I close. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then listen to this last part. Peter was he knew they were facing a pagan culture. So he said, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We're at war, folks. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they come against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that's what we're headed for folks the house is being built i hope you're a stone in the wall and i hope you're standing strong because there's nothing worse than a house that has a weak point and that weak point causes the whole thing to crumble and a church is only as strong as its weakest member and i don't want to put pressure on you if you're new or if you're if you're not as interested in having a craving for God's word but I'm trying to urge you if you want to be in the house then shore up the foundations if you want to be a part of God's house then build into the foundation what you need to withstand the storms coming may people look at us one day and say you suffered all that loss in your life and you're still worshiping God and you say, yes, to whom else would I go? To whom else could I turn? He alone has the words.
eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you, God, for the encouragement so that we could see the reason why we need to build into our foundation. The storms are here. The enemy is not just at the gate. He's in the city. And, Lord, we want to be ready to fight hand-to-hand combat if need be. We want to be able to stand up and say, not this house, not this marriage, not this family. You will not enter here. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that as Christians and that we could be a hedge of protection in this community as a church that people could flock to for a refuge, that they could leave their addictions, that they could, they could leave their troubles and, and come here and find some help, find some solutions. And the solution is in you, our Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.